Yeah, and yeah, I was ready to take action, right? I wasn't just looking at deals. I was ready to, to move. And if I found the right deal, I was ready to move. Yeah, and it's kind of like that law of attraction thing, right? That, that being open to opportunities, right? I was really open to opportunities and to finding a deal. I was, <laughs> I was actually kind of desperate to find a deal. And so then this came along, like you said, I was ready to take action. I was ready to move. I was, had everything in place as well. Right? I sp- I've spoken to property managers. I had I've spoken to lenders so that when I need, and I had the cash ready to go. Um, so when, when this deal came, I could move on it, right? Have, had I not been in that position, I would have lost out and they would, they would have listed it and someone else would have bought it. Welcome to Real Estate Deal Closers with Annette Tali, where we focus on the deals. Our guests are real estate closers who will share in detail the whole process from finding a deal to closing it, as well as strategies and tips to help you do the same. Here is your host, Annette Tali. Welcome to another episode of Real Estate Deal Closers. I am your host, Annette Tali, and my guest today is Barry Griffiths. Welcome, Barry. Hey Annette, thanks for having me. I'm excited to, to be on your show. I had you I had you on my show, so I'm excited to be on your show now. Absolutely. I'm super excited to uh, share with my audience about you. Uh, so let me tell you a little bit about Barry. He is the host of YouTube channel Wrestling with Real Estate and the WWRE podcast, where he interviews people from all aspects of the industry. His goal is to help educate as many people to the amazing benefits of real estate. For the past decade, he has been working in the entertainment industry. He previously starred in the UK version of US Gladiators as Gladiator Goliath. (laughs) Then he went on to wrestle on TV for the WWE as Mason Ryan, where he wrestled the likes of John Cena, performed on pay-per-views on regular regularly appeared on Monday Night Raw. <laughs> He's currently performing for Cirque du Soleil at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. That is amazing. I'm going to have to go to Vegas and go see you. Yeah, please do. But don't come right now because you won't see anything. So we won't because we're not performing right now. But yeah, when we yeah, start back. But hopefully start soon. Back, yeah, hopefully soon. Absolutely. So tell me, how did you get into real estate? Uh, so what happened was, uh, as you mentioned, in that I was wrestling for the WWE, and I came over from the UK, and <clears throat> you know I, I, everything was going well with wrestling, and I had this great career, and um, I didn't have any kind of backup plan, right? I was a wrestler, but I never thought anything about anything else except being a wrestler. My plan A was to be a world heavyweight champion. Plan B was to be the world heavyweight champion. Plan C was to be the world heavyweight champion. I didn't have any other plan. So in 2014, in April of 2014, they didn't renew my contract and I didn't see it coming at all. So this kind of came out of the blue for me. So one day I'm a wrestler making good money and then the next I'm not. And I'm living in the US and, you know, I don't have much skills except picking up dumbbells and picking up people, right? You know, I don't, it's not like I can pivot and go do something else. I was, you know, firmly in the wrestling world and that, that's kind of you know, pretty much what I could do at that time. Um, but I just bought a house. So I bought a house in January of 2014 and in April of 2014, you know, I, you know, they didn't renew my contract. It was an expensive house. So there's, as my dream of wrestling had come to an end, I couldn't see myself selling the house because I loved the house. I didn't want to lose my dream of being a wrestler and sell the house. It was two things, right? It would have been two things at once. So I went down the rabbit hole of trying to find a tenant, understanding how you screen a tenant, 
what a you know how you manage your property all that stuff and that opened my eyes to real estate investing into bigger pockets i think and probably eventually rich dad poor dad and it opened this whole other world to me of real estate investing so not only was it creating a plan b that i needed and probably was a plan a at the time because i didn't have too much else going on um to, to do that but also it I understood what it could create for you, right? The lifestyle that it could create for yourself, right? That you, if you own enough rentals and have enough income coming from that, you have that financial freedom and that, you know, you can live whatever life you want from yourself. So that, that's kind of how it fit in with me. And once I, once I learned about all that, I was hooked. I was all about real estate from that, that point on. Amazing. And you know what? That was kind of the same book that got me interested in real estate, uh, you know, after reading and I'm like, okay, I love it, but how? You know, like it, it has all this amazing concept, but it led me to start investigating more because I wanted to learn more. Yeah, and it's, it's just, it just starts you off, right? It's not a how-to in real estate investing. It's more of why you should, right? And not necessarily, you know, it's liabilities versus asset, right? Like that was mind-blowing to me, right? You want something that's making you money rather than something that's costing you money. And it's, I think the brilliance of that book is the simplicity of it, right? It's, it's kind of easy to understand and it lays it out and you just understand it. It's a concept that's easy to understand. And it's, it's a, you know, everyone quotes that book, right? And it's for a reason, right? It's that book is just life-changing for so many people. And there's a reason for that, of course. Absolutely. The Deal. All right, let's talk about The Deal. So tell me, what deal are we talking about and where is the location? Yeah, it's a six-unit deal that I have, I, st I still own. It's in an area called Covington, Kentucky, which is essentially Cincinnati. It's just the other side of the river in Cincinnati, Ohio. So yeah, that's the deal that we're going to be talking about today. Oh, wow. So next time I go to Ohio, I'm going to pass by it because, you know, I go to Cincinnati, to the airport when I go to Dayton. Oh, are you okay. You, you invest in Dayton? I have some properties in Dayton. No way. We never yes. talked about it. All right. We'll have to talk about that fair. I've got a good friend who invests in, in Dayton. I like, I kind of interested in the Dayton market actually is an interesting one. Okay. But yeah, anytime you, anytime you want to go buy my, pass my, pass my property checkup, make sure the contractors are doing what they're supposed to be, making sure the tenants are behaving. Uh, I'll, I'll send I'll, some. I'll send you the checklist. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Perfect. All right. So what type of asset? Is it A, B or C class? It, when I bought it, I would say it was a C, maybe a C minus, but I think the area is a B, maybe B plus even, you know, so that, that's, that's kind of tells you a little bit of story about the property itself. So yeah, it's a, it's a C minus in a B plus area, I'd say. That is a great find. Yeah, so, you don't want a B, B property in a C area, right? You want to see Yeah, C you don't, you yeah. don't. All right. So how did you find it? So how I found it was through a broker, but it was a little bit, wasn't, wasn't as, uh, as simple as that. So I've been created a relationship with a broker. I'm, I'm, I live in Las Vegas. So it took me a while to create a good relationship with a broker. And as, as probably your, your listeners have heard a lot of times, broker relationships are key, right? They're the, they're the people finding the deals. You, you have direct mailing and wholesalers and you have other ways to find it, but brokers are really key. So I really focused in on creating a good relationship with a broker at Marcus Miller Chap in Cincinnati. His name is JD Smurge in case he's listening by any chance. He's a, he's a great guy. And, you know, we created a personal relationship with him, right? Initially it was business. And then I 
transfer that to personal. So I, over, over the space of a year, I created that relationship with him and we'd looked at deals. We got under contract one, had to pull out. So he knew I was serious and, you know, got to that point. So what happened was he called me one day and was like, Hey, I've got a six unit that might interest you. And I was like, oh, I don't six units a little small. I was looking at 15 to 20 units. That's kind of what I wanted to buy, you know? And he's like, yeah, but this, this is a great deal. It's in a great area. You know, it's um, rents are really, really low. Now it needs a lot of work and it's a little rough, but that's where the opportunity is. A lot of, some people have looked at it and the opportunity is as well, similar to what you mentioned on my show, one of your six unit, it was going to be listed on the residential side. Now it was still off market at this point, but he was like, they, they're literally going to list it tomorrow. And it was his sister-in-law that told him about it. So his sister-in-law is a residential agent. So it was a little bit of fortune, good fortune involved in that. Mm-hmm. But so they were getting ready to list it the next day. And he was like, listen, I, I've got some pictures. I know this is the story, blah, blah, blah. And I know also that they're selling it for 300. Um, someone's getting ready to list a six unit in not quite as nice an area for 500,000 just down the road. And it wasn't in, in quite as nice an area. So we knew just by that quick, you know, didn't didn't do a didn't look at the PL, didn't look at the T12, didn't look at the rent roll, didn't do a, you know, didn't put the numbers in a spreadsheet. It just need, knew from those kind of numbers that it made it sense. So after speaking with him, it's like, all right, what do we come out? He said, if I was you, we need to come in at list price. So I offered 300000 list price. Um, and yeah, I made an offer that day from, from when he called me. So there was some luck involved, right? And I always say this, that luck is where opportunity meets hard work, right? I was ha- working hard on that broken relationship, created that broken relationship. So he was one of the first person that he, he, he thought of when um, this deal came up. So yeah, that's, that's how and it that's important, But also not only hard work, but you were prepared right mm-hmm. like luck work because you were ready to do it because if you didn't work hard and were not prepared then you would have missed it they were listing it the next day yeah and yeah, i was ready to take action right i wasn't just looking at deals i was ready to to move and if i found the right deal i was ready to move yeah and it's kind of like that law of attraction thing right that that being open to opportunities, right? I was really open to opportunities and to finding a deal. I was, <laughs> I was actually kind of desperate to find a deal. And so then this came along, like you said, I was ready to take action. I was ready to move. I was had everything in place as well. Right? I've sp- spoken to property managers. I had I spoken to lenders so that when I need, and I had the cash ready to go. Um, so when, when this deal came, I could move on it, right? Have, had I not been in that position, I would have lost out and they would, they would have listed it and someone else would have bought it. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so you bought it basically at listing price. So how did you pay for it or did you finance it? Tell, tell me about the, the financing of it. Yeah, so I, I used um, uh, commercial financing for it, right? Uh, the good, so there was a few good things was that it was a low purchase price. So it was 300,000. So, I, you know, they were going to, they were going to give me 20% of that. So I needed to come with uh, 60,000 as the down payment, right? So it wasn't a huge amount, which, which I had at the time. So with the financing though, it was a little bit tricky because I was out of state. So I lived in Las Vegas, didn't have any property there, didn't have any family there. So most banks to have a comfort with you, they need you to have some kind of footprint there. They need you to own property or to live there because obviously it makes sense as your first property, right? If you're out of state, that's very risky, right? All lenders, the main concern is, are you going to pay? I know you're going to pay their money back, right? So that's their main concern. So if you're out of state, you're not able to check on the property regularly. You, you You may not understand the market the same. You may not have the same experience. So they really want you to have that. Well, 
what I was able to do is I was able to go with US Bank and US Bank have a bank here in Las Vegas. Oh. So buying, by having a bank here in Las Vegas, I was able to count that as having a footprint in Cincinnati. And what I also did, I opened an account with them. I put some money in the, in the account. Um, so that that also helped as well. That made me a stronger borrower. So yeah, so I got a, uh, at the time I got a pretty good, pretty good loan. So it was uh, a five year term that just goes to an adjustable. So it's not actually a balloon. It just goes to an adjustable rate after five years. Now, of course I can refinance or do whatever I want at that point, but it just goes to an adjustable rate. So it's not, not a balloon essentially that I have to pay everything off. And I got an uh, 80% loan to value. So I only had to put 20% down. And at the time I got an interest rate of 4.4, which was January of 2020, which wasn't actually a bad rate at all. It was quite competitive. Now, obviously rates have dropped a lot since then. I wouldn't be very happy with it right now, but at the time it was a 4.4. And the good thing about that one was as well is um, it didn't have a prepayment penalty. So I had the option of doing a 4.1 with a prepayment payment penalty or a 4.4 with no prepayment penalty. And I was like, um, let me think about that for about half a second. And then they said, yeah, of course, give me the 4.4 with no prepayment penalty. Because also I understood it, that aligned better with what my business plan was for this property. Right. Okay. So, you know, you said that the listing price was uh, 300 and then you offer that. But, you know, tell me about the inspections. Are, were you able to negotiate anything after the inspection? No, because the, the property was a mess and there was a lot of value there. So it's only six units, right? So, you know, even if I figured out a hundred thousand for renovations, I still have, you know, a hundred, hundred thousand dollars in equity. Right. Um, and rents were really low. Their rents average rent was, I think around 600. So it's two, one bedrooms and four, two bedrooms. Um, so average rent was about 600 but the, the average market rent was about 1100 Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So, and, you know, that's very important for people to recognize that, like, when you have a good deal, like, you just got to go with it. Like, you know, even if you find stuff that you didn't like, you know, you were still getting more than 1% at, you know, when you bought it. So, you know, why even try, right? Like, you were yeah, well getting an amazing deal. Exactly. And it was baked into the price. The, the seller was just looking for 300,000 just to get out of the deal. And that was it. He wasn't, he was a slumlord, no doubt about it. He did, he took horrible care of the property, but he was just looking for 300,000, get out the deal and take that money. And he probably, he probably didn't owe anything on that. He don't, he owned it a long time. So, you know, he was just looking for that. So I didn't want to, the deal was good enough that I didn't need to renegotiate anything, right? And I did inspection, right? Had the roof been messed up, right? And the, you know, needed a brand new roof, you know, which would have been 20,000. Okay, that that might have changed things a little bit, right? And, you know, I did, you know, the, the, the inspection didn't show up anything too crazy, right? There wasn't anything that surprised me, right? Obviously, all the units needed a lot of work. There was some, a ton of deferred maintenance on the outside, you know, there was some, bits and bobs that needed to be doing done on the outside but it wasn't nothing crazy now like I said had you know had I needed to put in brand new furnaces brand new HVAC systems brand new uh, water heaters right all that the expensive capex items brand new roof that would have changed but no, nothing nothing major like that needed to be done awesome all right so what are you what's your uh, exit strategy for this so the business plan was with this one from was from the start was like I said it was a six unit so it was much smaller than what I was looking but I knew there was equity in there so the, the goal was to renovate all the units 
push that higher rents, you know, create, create that value with the NOI and then um, sell. So create, create that value, create, you know, I, I was thinking 500,000 to be honest with you at the time um, and take that equity and roll it into it, do a 1031 and buy something, you know, much bigger at that time. Well, the good news is since then, I've, you know, I, I was predicting a thousand for the two beds and 800 for the one beds. Well, I'm getting, I'm getting about on one bed, I'm getting 1400 on one of the, on the two beds. I'm getting 1250 on one of the other two beds and I'm getting 1150 on one of the other two beds. So much higher than, than what, I, what I was expecting. So that's the good news. So it's really actually pushed the value closer to 625, 650. So there's a lot more equity. So yeah, so I've got one more unit that I need to renovate. I got one unit that I'm trying to lease up now, and then one last unit that I need to renovate, and then turn around the rent, and then I'll be able to hopefully sell and do a 1031 into something you know much much bigger. You know, amazing. And you know how 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 much how much was your budget for renovation? So Hundred thousand is what I what I budgeted. What I what I assumed. Now a lesson I learned with that. What I would have done next time is I would have. Maybe so. Like I said, I had a good loan from US Bank, but I would have looked to a to, I, and I'm sure I could have found one that did a loan to cost. So they just did a straight up loan, just a conventional commercial loan where they did 80% of the value. Now I would have tried to find something that did loan to cost. So for people who don't know, essentially they roll in the renovation budget, right? Not all of it. It's usually about 75% of the purchase price and 75% of the renovation budget. But that would be so much less capital outlay that I would have had to take and I would have been able to leverage it a lot more now it's okay I'm gonna I'm gonna be able to you know take advantage of all that money that I put in but the only thing is now I'm that money is tied to that property and it's tied to that 1031 whereas if I'd used a loan to cost I would have used a lot less of my capital I could have used that on other projects that the capital has to be used on my next project now that I'll 1031 into right but this is like a, a great lesson right like I also bought my first one cash and then I was like, why am I not like now I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, I should have bought four, you know, four of them, <laughs> yeah. you know, 25% down. Yeah. So, yeah it depends. Like, and it depends where you are in your investing career, what you're looking at. Some people, they're scared to death of leverage, right? And that's because of certain experiences or what they've been taught. And that's fine, right? It's, it's whatever you feel comfortable on, whatever your goals are, right? You know, maybe when, as you get closer to, to that number, you want to have lower leverage, right? I'm, I'm more in the wealth creation mode right now. So I'm okay with leverage done right, right? I'm not going to over leverage and, you know, barely be meeting my debt service ratio and debt, debt coverage ratio, or, you know, just be struggling to make my debt, debt payments, right? Because I've over leveraged, but at the same time done right. And with, with plenty of room there, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking to leverage as much as I can, essentially. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think leverage is awesome. You know, like I use it as much as possible, but also, you know, making sure that you are not over doing mm -hmm. it, you know? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Productivity hack. All right. So let's talk about your productivity hack. So what have you been doing on your business, on your business that has taken you to the next level? Yeah, for, for me, a productivity hack that I use a lot is, is like, you hear people say, right, start with the hardest thing, right? A lot of times, right, start with that hardest thing. And I, that's great. But for me, I always have to start with the easiest task. So I find like, if, I, if I'm making a list for the next day, I find the easiest task. The, 
the very easy task that I can start with. Because sometimes if I try with the hard things, I'll just procrastinate and I'll put it off. And this comes back to, I think something bigger is understanding who you are as a person and how you work as a person, right? Mentally and emotionally and everything like that, how you work. So I always start with the easiest tasks. So I'll find, and I'll, I'll go from the easiest to the hardest. So if I have 10 tasks, I'll start with the easiest, the next easiest, the next easiest after that. And I find that helps me get that ball rolling to start off with. And I feel good about doing those first tasks and then I can get to those harder tasks and it, that really helps me, I feel like, in terms of productivity, productivity hack. Now, I think, I think for, as advice for people, I think it's a better advice for people is rather than that is understanding who you are as a person and how you work. And I think that would be my productivity hack to people is because it's not necessarily a direct productivity hack, but you need to understand how you work. Are you better in the mornings? Are you better in the evenings? Are you... <clears throat> you better like I am starting with the easiest stuff. A lot of people are better starting with the hardest thing because once they've got that hardest thing out of the way, everything else becomes easier. So it's just understanding yourself as a person, I think is very, very important. Absolutely. And like, you know, sometimes I am driving and I have, you know, that's the time when I try to do phone calls because my time is very limited. You know, mm -hmm. like I just know that I look at my list and I'm like, okay, what can I do while I'm driving to pick up the kids from school, you know, so I can get more stuff done. So you got to understand who you are, like you said, and adjust that to, to your personality. For sure. Absolutely. Expert tips. All right. So now we are in the part of the show where you're going to show, uh, where you're going to share with me three expert tips. And Barry is going to share three expert tips on mindset. Yeah, absolutely. I think mindset is so important. I, you know, I, I even have a part of my podcast that is dedicated just to mindset because I think it's so important. And, you know, it's become, I figured this out through a lot of self-reflection, right? I mentioned earlier in the, in the podcast that um, when my um, contract wasn't renewed with WWE, that was a really hard point in my time because I had always identified as a wrestler. I'm a wrestler. I'll be a wrestler for the rest of my life. That's who I am. And that's what I've always done. Well, now my wrestling career came to an end and I, you know, I, was, I had to figure out, well, who am I? I'd been riding this wave of wrestling, you know, moved to the US, making good money, being on TV, doing all this really cool stuff and was able to just ride that wave and not really worry about it and not have any self-reflection. So when that happened, I had a lot of self-reflection, which led me down the, the path of mindset and realized how important it is. So the, the one tip I would uh, talk want to talk about is self-talk is so important the way we talk to ourselves is we talk to ourselves more than anyone else like not even close right all day long we talk to ourselves in our brain and what you say really matters right the what you say to yourself matters so but so much so as an example right as framing of, of a sentence or whatever is so important so um, for, for a while, I was I, I, I needed to stop drinking because not I had a problem or anything like that, but it just made me sick. Even one drink of alcohol could make me sick. I kept kept doing it, kept doing it, and would get sick, and you know, and it was just miserable. So in the end, I had to realize I needed to talk to myself differently because what I would say to people was, and it's not it's what you say to yourself, but it's what you say to other people because what you're saying to other people is what you're saying to yourself essentially. And I would say to people, yeah, I don't really drink. I try not to drink. Then, no, I had to say to people, no, I don't drink. I'm not a drinker. And any time I thought to myself as well, oh, I, drink, I, I wouldn't mind just a, a, a nice glass of wine or a beer right now, right? I'd always say to myself, no, you could never, ever drink again. 
you can never ever drink again and that making those changes is huge right it's the difference between someone saying i'm trying to quit smoking and someone saying i don't smoke uh -huh. that's a huge difference you identify as that person then right i identify as a person now that doesn't drink as hard as it is trust me i grew I up in when you are saying like i'm on a diet i'm trying not to eat then people are like oh but try a piece like yeah. one bite right one seed but when you say like i don't eat sweets or i don't like cake or i don't like soda you know it's like oh the conversation ends there there's yeah. no questioning because you just don't do it exactly right it's just a completely different way of um looking at things and, and the way you kind of speak to yourself and it's going back to that conversation you have with yourself right the way you speak to yourself is um so important right and, and uh, one more thing that I, you just made me think about like once you say like i don't drink like you cannot start drinking because people are going to be like did you say like you don't drink like you once you verbalize it like that's the truth and you gotta stick with it right yeah exactly exactly and i think so essentially i think there's two tips there so i can separate so that people don't get this one is be careful how you talk to yourself right understand how you talk to listen to what yourself because even though we're talking to ourselves we're not aware of what we're actually saying is it negative is it productive is it true like you tell yourself i'm lazy i'm lazy i'm lazy well is that true are you actually lazy so you've got to ask that self and then also then from that point so the understanding that self-talk but then from there understanding what you say to yourself right changing what you say to yourself like you know if you're telling yourself hey i'm i'm successful hey i'm hard working that then also manifests itself inside of yourself then as well it really does like build on you and like it creates a different person i think it really really does right i, I I don't know what you think, but I, I really noticed the difference. And and trust me, I have to to this day I have to be careful about it, right? It's easy to get into that negative self-talk, but at least now I'm able to catch it. Whereas before I didn't notice that I was even doing it. But now I'm aware I'll be doing it. Okay, stop that. Think positive, do something else, right? Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. And then um, another another mindset hack. I should have thought about this a little bit, a little bit more, is <laughs> but I think a mindset had I was I've realized recently as well is um, having clarity. Clarity is so important in part as your mindset, right? Like it's easy to get, and it's clarity in everything, right? What do you want from life, right? Been, in real estate, I can definitely niche it down, but in in, in life in general, right? And like, what are you what what do you want for yourself? Do you want to be married? Do you want to be single? Do you want kids? Like, what does that look like? What do you want your life to look like? And having that clarity to understand that right it really makes you focus and understand what you're looking for so you're able to see opportunities able to see what you want to do right it's like having a roadmap to your life and then if we drill down on real estate having clarity on what you understand is so important in real estate i think because the shiny object syndrome it can be get so so bad in real estate because everything like you listen to tons of different podcasts mine included and i interview people from all different aspects of real estate right you'll have someone doing tax liens you know someone who's wholesaling someone who's doing single family buying holds someone that's doing multi-family buying holds someone that's doing syndication there's so many different things out there that can catch your attention so you want to have that clarity and that focus on what you're doing really it's so important so you know like like you are right you're focused on multifamily syndication right me too you're focused on that so when opportunities come 
that's not that, you can say, no, I'm not interested. And because also we have only a limited amount of time, it's so important because your time can go, a day can go like that, right? You can lose a day in a blink of an eye. So it's really important to have that clarity in your life and in real estate in terms of what you're looking for. Absolutely. I love that. I love that because once you set your goal, I want this and you are clear about it, you're going to start going towards it. Like, you know, even if you don't think about it, you're going to start doing stuff that is going to take you closer to it. Yeah, 100%. 100%. All right, Barry. It, ha it has been a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, tell uh, my audience, where can they find you? Yeah, the best place to go find out more about me is wrestlingwithrealestate.com. I have a podcast called the WWRE Podcast, a YouTube channel called Wrestling With Real Estate, and I'm on Instagram as Barry WWRE, but that can get a little confusing. So if you go to wrestlingwithrealestate.com, everything is there. The socials, the podcast, the YouTube, everything is there. And if anyone's interested in talking more about real estate and hopefully get, everyone got this through this podcast is i love real estate i'm obsessed with real estate i can talk about it all day long so if anyone's interested in just having a conversation about real estate there's a sign up page on wrestlingwithrealestate.com where you can schedule a call and we can just hop on the call and just have a fun conversation about real estate so that's there as well if anyone's interested amazing thank you so much and don't forget to like share and subscribe to our both our channels in YouTube. Thank you guys. This was Real Estate Deal Closers with Annette Talee, brought to you by Talee Investments. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Our goal is to provide amazing value on your real estate journey. Connect online at www.taleeinvestments.com, where you can find this episode and more. Did you like this episode? Subscribe, like, and share.